0: But if you did it, don't do it now, because if I forgot it, that's life. Um, As we come to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come now to the very word of God, uh, cause us to just suck air when we think that we have before us the word of the eternal God. And so I pray that we would take it as such that as Paul said when he spoke that and when he wrote that it wasn't his words but the very word of God. And that's what we have before us. And so I pray now help us to, to be amazed and to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 13. I want to read verses 11 through 14. 2 Corinthians, please. And uh, chapter 13. And just these last verses of this letter. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want, if God will help me to simply take up that verse 14. Um, it's the very last sentence in this letter that we've been thinking about since August. August. Um, it isn't just simply the last sentence. Uh, it's a benediction. And I, I want to... F- at least my hope is that this particular benediction will carry us at least through this week, if not through the rest of our lives. But this will set for us a tone, a theme, as we approach uh, this, uh, this holy, holy week. Um, uh, there are a number of benedictions in scriptures. We know about them. We've talked about them before. I use four or five of them. Uh, My favorite one has been calligraphied by our own um, um, Sarah Andyshack. Some of you know Sarah, and some of you have been in our home and you've seen it. So if you want to know what my favorite one is, just drop out of the house. Uh, It's up over our mantle. But um, but benedictions uh, in Scripture are extremely significant. A benediction, we know, isn't a prayer. It's a good word spoken, and it's a good word spoken from, uh, from God. This one, in verse 14, probably in the history of the church, is the most famous one of all. I almost never use it. And the reason I almost never use it is, because, to be really honest with you, it is so profound to me to simply say it. Without spending time pondering it, is almost a waste of it. Now that's my sin probably, but, but that's the, the other ones are easier to when you listen to them, you know. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. Get that? Equip you with everything good for doing His will, working in us that which is well pleasing in His sight. Right? Uh, you can hear that, and you go, Oh yes, I got that. I know that's that's. I need that. That's significant. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you blameless before his glorious presence, and that with great joy, yes, I need that. You run with that very, very, very quickly. Um, but this one, you go, oh, yeah, all right. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. okay. But it's so profound. Now we know what benedictions are. If you just quickly, just, just to review Numbers chapter 6, you know this, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. This is when benedictions were first instituted in ancient Israel. And the, the priests in ancient Israel were instructed, first Aaron and then the other priests, to pronounce a benediction upon the people. You know this one as well, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, give you peace. Now, a benediction, this word, is a blessing. It's a good word from God to the people to be received, if you will. And it's, it's generally the last thing Spoken in a worship service as well it should be. We begin our worship service with a call to worship, a call to worship from God. Not from me, it's not my deal, not from you, it's not your deal. God is calling people, God is calling people to worship. Um, I I so appreciate still um, churches that have bells, right? Um, And because in former days, and even in Lawrence, at least from the Roman Catholic churches, they're still allowed to ring their bells. The neighbors at Corpus Christi went crazy for a while, but uh, but uh, uh, because of the bells ringing. But that's a call, if you will. It's a call to worship. It's not a very clear one. It's just a bell. But but this, these calls to worship that we use are are from from God. You see. And he's calling us to worship. And then at the very end, he's saying, I had the first word, I had the word in the middle, now I'm going to have the word at the end, which is this benediction. I'm going to bless you with this good word. Now, what we're to do with that blessing, of course, is to listen to it and believe it and know that it applies to us. But notice verse 27 and number 6. So shall they, that is the priests, when they pronounce the benedictions, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. See, that a benediction there's a sense in which it's god putting his name upon us the god of peace right the god who is able to keep us from falling put his name and you know when you when you take someone's name when you have a name upon you it identifies you and provides for you an identity and names can be both a blessing or a curse, right? Depending on the name. The name of your school <laughs> is, to, is to be a blessing for you. But if something bad happened at your school, then it, it isn't so much. If it has a bad reputation, you say, I went to that school, and you announce that's the name of my... It's, it's not good for you, right? But if it's a great school, it's a blessing. right? Or the company you work for, It's a good company, and people respect it. And you say, I work for this company. Then people go, well, that's good, right? It says something about, identifies you in a particular way. Well, we receive the name of God upon us, and it's to bless us. And so this benediction is to take this and if you, and to swear it, if you will, to receive it, to take it upon ourselves. This is our identity. We belong to this God. And, and, and again, in, in, the, in the, the Numbers the benediction, it, we belong to the God who keeps you. Right? And so when I take that upon myself, I know my identity is one who is kept by God. So regardless of where I'm going, in ancient Israel, if they were, they were going into battle, this benediction would supply them this identity that God will keep us. He'll bless us and keep us. And we sin, we know that he's gracious to us. When we need help, we know that he's gracious to us. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. A shining face is a good thing. A frowning face is a bad thing. A shining face is a good thing, right? And so when God's face shines upon you, I'm one upon whom God's face shines. Think about that. If that was really your identity, if you could really receive that know that and so that's what's taking place in this benediction in ancient Israel and, and still in the tradition of benedictions when they're, when they're laid out like this and as in Paul's final sentences to them as he ends his letter he wants them to, he wants them to receive this this benediction that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ I am one upon whom the grace of God has come through Jesus Christ I'm one loved by God. I'm one who has fellowship with God and others through the Holy Spirit. That is to be, you see, our identity. And and, and you'll notice that this benediction is Trinitarian. It gives us God's name and says, God is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, God. And when it's used like that, it's almost always a reference as it is here to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. And so we have a Trinitarian reference. Now we know, we talk about the Trinity. It's a difficult concept. Of course, there isn't any other example that you can use really that's helpful here that really is good. You know, it's like, you know, define the universe and give two examples. Um, it, you know, it's difficult. And so, you know, define God and give two, two examples. No, you can't really do that. So he's Trinity and and. If I could just give you a big word or two. Uh, When we talk about the ontological trinity, the the being of God, we stress his oneness. This is who he is in his being. He's one God. And yet when we talk about his economic trinity, that is we talk about the roles within him, we we think of his threeness in the sense of one God, yet three persons. And so here, Paul's delineating these persons. And fascinatingly, he begins in an awkward place. Normally we think of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He lays out God, Son, Father, Holy Spirit. Why? Well, we don't know. Other than perhaps, it's how we really come to know God. We come to know God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to know the love of God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the spirit—it's—it's—it's it's, it's laid out for us, and how we experience this relationship really uh, with God. You know, we we come to know God through Jesus. In John, in chapter one, for instance, in verse eighteen, as as John lays out this wonderful introduction uh, to his his gospel, in verse eighteen, he says, "No one has ever seen God." The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You see? So we know God through Jesus. He's the word that became flesh and made his dwelling dwelling upon us. Later, Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The author of Hebrews says that in former days, uh, God revealed himself through the prophets, but now... Through his son. So we we see that. We know the love of God also by way of this grace that comes through us through Jesus, right? Um, God demonstrates, Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know the love of God? We know the love of God because it was while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, 1 John chapter 4. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation or as an atoning sacrifice for our sins right so so we know the love of God through the holy Spirit uh, through, through through the through Christ, and then it 's the Holy Spirit who who brings this home to us it's the Spirit who brings this home to us, so it 's the Father who plans it it 's the Son who who achieves it, and it's the Spirit who applies it. And so we see all of that in the work of God in our our redemption. Now, this word that Paul gives to them is is their hope. Notice verse 11. He kind of, in rather staccato fashion, uh, just kind of summarizes really his call throughout this entire letter. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Aim for restoration with each other, with me, Paul would say. Remember, there was this problem that Paul had with the people and the people had with Paul. And so he says, aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Let you deal with holy kisses however you wish. Uh, All the saints uh, greet you. But um, their only hope is in this benediction. That they would know the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, and the love of God, and the fellowship, um, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And finally, this before we get into details, um, it's no surprise at all that Paul would end any letter that he writes, especially this one, with a benediction, with a focus upon God. That's been Paul's point all along. Paul is saying, it's not about these other teachers that have come in. It's not even about me. It's about God. All I ever wanted for you is to know the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's all I care about. In fact, just, just a brief look back through from what we've considered since August. In, in, in chapter 1, for instance, in verse 8, Paul writes... For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's whole point throughout this entire letter is don't depend on these falsities. Don't depend on me. Depend upon God. And so my final word to you. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours. May you know God. May you be identified with him. May your life have his name upon it. Not my name upon it. Not their name upon it. Don't look to me. Don't look to them. Look to God. In fact, in chapter 1 and in verse 20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is, in Jesus. Not in Paul. But in Jesus, so he ends this by focusing attention upon God. Verse 21, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He says it's God's work, not, not our work. Verse 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work for you, for, for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul says, we just want you to have faith. In God, not in us. Not in us. Chapter 3 says that we're not competent for this. Verse 5. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency comes from God. And so he's saying, and so does yours. So my last word for you is that you would know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. because Because... You're going to be sufficient for what God calls you to. You need to know him. You need to be identified with him. He needs to put his name upon you and bless you or you have no hope. And so he says, I'll end with that, that benediction. And so Paul says in chapter four in verse five, he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. All I am, Paul says, all we are is servants to you. Only so that you would know God. It says that we're just jars of clay. We're not the treasure. Christ is the treasure. God is the treasure. The gospel's the treasure. So don't look to us. Look to Him. In fact, Paul at the very end, you remember, says, "If if you remember anything about me at all, remember I'm weak. If you remember anything about me at all." Remember that I'm weak. And if you see anything that looks like power, then you would know that isn't me, but that's the power of God at work. Because my weakness is simply a vehicle for his strength. So he ends by saying, I want to turn your attention upon God. So he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we, we know what grace is. You can define it in various ways. The simplest is we've been using that, that grace is the kindness, the love, the favor of God upon sinners, those who've rebelled against God, who deserve only his judgment. That's this sense of the grace of God. It's unmerited in our part. It's moved upon. Only by God and his character, he's decided to be gracious, to show favor. We don't deserve it at all. In fact, we deserve the exact opposite of, of what we really get. That's the, the grace of God. And the way Paul lays that out in his letter, you remember, in chapter 8 and, and, and verse 9. Turn to that quickly if you can. Uh, 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 8 and verse 9. You might remember this verse we labored upon. He says, for you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the grace of God. That's why this morning we read together from Philippians in chapter 2. This was the richness of Jesus in glory, becoming poor, um, emptying himself. Taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, the rich, poor, even to the deepest poverty, where, when he was cross-bound, he had nothing, absolutely nothing. His friends were gone, his health was gone, his skin was falling off his body. Had no possessions at all. Was forsaken even by his father. Poverty. But yet, in the midst of that, we become rich. We were poor, but yet we become rich. Poor in spirit, as Jesus would say. Uh, we have spiritually bankrupt. Um, the way he would put it in chapter 5, you remember, in verse uh, 21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become. The righteousness of God. He for us. You know as the prophet Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one according to his own way. But he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ah, that's it isn't it? The grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and not only that. This grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brings us power. Brings us strength. Enables us uh, it's this uh, power, as Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was the word from the Lord to Paul when he had this thorn in the flesh. He says, he says, My grace is sufficient. Grace also empowers. Grace comes to us to strengthen us. That's what it does. Now, you see, we're to carry this blessing. We're to carry this sense always. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Thus you should know if the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. If you know the grace of Jesus, you should know your sins are forgiven. You don't have to ignore them. You don't have to pretend they don't exist. You can be honest about them and confess them to God. And know that he will not cast you out. But he will forgive you. You, you. you know, I know. You know your temper. You know your impatience. You know your impure thoughts. You know your lying. Right? You know you're the behaviors that you're involved in that you know you shouldn't be involved. in. you know them. And, and, and knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ means we can face them and take them to him and receive forgiveness to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is in we're reconciled to God we belong to him and he will not cast us out to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is to know that he always lives to intercede for us so he is always in glory speaking well of us to his Father, interceding for us at every turn, and also then empowering us, enabling us, strengthening us. To know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be grateful. It's to be grateful. It's to live a life thankful, amazed, thankful to God. And it's that that gratefulness as we contemplate what God has done for us in Jesus, when we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that causes us to desire not simply to continue on in sin, but to pray and ask him to help us uh, overcome it and put it to death, as the apostle says. Uh, and, And so to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is to know sin dealt with, sin forgiven, and God dealing with us. And being thankful for all of that. And depending upon him to help us in the midst of of all that. And to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ really is to know the love of God. I mean, how is it, as we mentioned earlier, that we really know that we're loved by, by God? I mean, let's face it. The life that we live is a dangerous one in many ways. It's an insecure one in many ways. It's a scary one in many ways. The violent one in the world in which we live. Is there any real security financially or physically, socially, relationally? At any one moment in time, life can be really difficult. And the question is, if someone comes up to you and says, God loves you, would you buy it? I mean, what evidence is there that God loves, not just simply loves, but loves you in particular the course of your life? Where do you go? Where do we go at moments like that? We go back to the cross, and that's the evidence of the love of God. This is love, not to be... We loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, I get it. I'll take that. I'll believe that by faith and walk through whatever it is that you have for me. At this one moment uh, in time. At the funeral for Jerry Bridges. Um. A friend of his, uh, a man who had co authored a couple of books with Jerry. And for those of you who don't know Jerry Bridges, uh, who's a friend of our church and uh, somewhat uh, known author and old, he was 86. Um, but um, at his funeral, uh, an optometrist, actually named Bob Bevington, who uh, came to know Jerry and they became very good friends played for us a voicemail that he had received from Jerry days before he died, before Jerry died. And um, it was in response or a follow-up to an email that Jerry had written to Bob, uh, asking him, Bob, to pray for Jerry, that Jerry would be content because he was having some anxiety and and discontentedness knowing that his health was failing and he was a little frustrated um, because he had all kinds of things still scheduled. And, um, And not only that, but he had a number of things he'd been praying for his whole adult life he had yet to see happen. And he wanted to see happen in his life. So he called Bob and said, Pray that I'd be content. Here's the, here's the follow-up voicemail. Uh, Jerry said, You received my email asking prayer for my contentment. And I think God has been moving in that way. In other respects, the most meaningful passage of Scripture to me right now is 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Jerry did that all the time. He always taught us to personalize verses. So while this text really says, you're not your own, um, you've been bought with a price, as I read, he actually um, spoke it that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. So he says to keep in mind that I'm not my own. It is up to God what goes on in my life. It's up to him how I'm treated I don't need any promises from him or anything like that just to show, just to know that he has indeed loved me and has a plan through all of this. See, what kept this man at the very end was the fact that he knew that God had loved him. And the reason he knew that God had loved him wasn't because his body was behaving the way it wanted to, not because he wasn't failing, not because he wasn't in pain, not because he wasn't a bit frustrated, but he knew that God had loved him because he knew that he had been bought with a price. And the price was the life of the eternal son of God. And if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So he could be content. He said, I I don't need any promises or anything like that. What he meant by that is I don't need any specific word from the Lord, like you're going to get better or this prayer is going to get answered or any of that. He said, I don't need any of that. All I need to know is that I've been loved. And I know that I've been loved because of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, "What, what I want you to wear What I want you to have is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and thus the love of God. And I want you to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, it's the Spirit of God who makes all of this personal to us, who applies all of this to us, who takes the plan of the Father to save us, who takes the the cross of Jesus which pays for our sin and accomplishes our redemption. And then the Holy Spirit comes, you see, and it's a communion with him. It's a fellowship with him. And he comes and he applies it to us. Very personal. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we really are children of God. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we might look at this on Thursday, but Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said, I'm going to leave you, but the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come to you And he'll be with you and will be in you. What a magnificent thing. That God is that close to us. That's the point of it. He's in us. He really is. He's that close to us. This is what you need to know at every moment in time as you're walking through your day. You need to know. You need to think about. You need to understand that your identity is that of one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells no matter where you are, no matter what is happening, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you want to do or can't do or whatever, that the Holy Spirit, this very Spirit of God, is in you. And you know that because this very Spirit of God is the one who changed your heart. You believe because this Spirit of God came to you and gave you new life. That's the evidence of it, you see. You know that He... He's there because you believe. If you didn't believe, he wouldn't be there, but you believe, so he's there. And he really is with you, God. God is with you. And we have this fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. And we have this fellowship with each other through the Holy Spirit. Because not only has he joined us together with God, but he's joined us together with each other. So Paul says, live at peace with each other. And so every time there's a squabble amongst us, we need to realize, oh, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he's united us to God, and he's united us to each other. So we need to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because he's made us, really, to be one. Now, it was that night that Jesus was betrayed, that he was with his disciples. And he took bread, and again, after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he t- this cup he gave to them as well and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do in remembrance of me. And as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until we come. What are we declaring? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the holy spirit let's pray father pray for me for us and we'd take that blessing because it's true for us that we would really take it upon us that we know the grace of our lord jesus christ sins forgiven Reconciliation with God. Assurance that we belong to him. Strength to live day by day, even in weakness. That we would know we're loved by God because we've been bought with a price. The very price of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we would know that we've been united to you by the Holy Spirit who has given us new life and enabled us to believe and to live. And now he in us, us, just not me, but us, we're united together to love each other as Christ has loved us. Father, let us take this benediction upon ourselves in such a way that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of God and that you would... Seal to us the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you, this isn't the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. All those who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners.